Mindfulness and mindfulness meditation. So first of all, I need to define what mindfulness is. Mindfulness is the undistracted awareness of the experience of the present moment. It's like a little bubble that follows you around wherever you go. So right now, our sensory present moment consists of what we can see and hear and smell and whatever we can taste if we've just had something to drink or eat. There's all of the other senses, of which there are many, and then there is also whatever thoughts we have and whatever emotions we have. So emotions being what they are, they tend to be, they tend to be a background emotion, so you can be anxious. So if you're anxious right now, that's part of your present moment, so that's mindfulness. If you're aware of your thoughts, then you're, that's mindfulness as well. When it stops being mindfulness is when we're in this autopilot where the mind has taken over and where the priorities of the 21st century intervene between our experience and our awareness of it. And the way that happens, we're all overloaded and some of us are overwhelmed with tasks and priorities and things to do and worries and we're rehearsing for things and going through things in our mind, processing them and so on. And modern life's so complex that if you let it, it will fill your mind from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed. And you, you, you do this and you find yourself on a kind of hamster wheel. And that's one of the reasons that mindfulness has become so popular, because it isn't that. So one of the great things about mindfulness isn't what it is, it's what it isn't. It isn't the repetitive, persistent, compulsive thoughts. So it came from the East as a concept. What's happened is, in the West, there's a kind of taboo has arisen about the nature of the mind. It's just not spoken about. It's not discussed. The the psychology studies people's behaviour and how they respond. So to a psychologist, they do or say things or they initiate some initiative to help someone in some way. Then in their mind, stuff happens and then that person behaves in a particular way as a result of it. So the, the psychology is to do with the input and the output. Neuroscience is having a crack at understanding what's going on, but it's a very fuzzy perspective. You know, knowing that a certain part of the brain activates when different things happen is useful, but it doesn't actually tell you very much. And and it's easier for it to become incorrect if you rely on that. So, because this part of the brain's activating, it means something. Because we don't actually know enough about the brain to be able to rely on that. And it's very, very easy to misinterpret it. So, cognitive psychology and cognitive neuroscience 
work in that area, trying to map the thoughts and emotions and responses and behaviours and so on and so forth to how the brain operates, but we've got a long, long way to go. In the interim, it's probably best to say from the perspective of psychology, you do things, people behave in a particular way, and you're correlating that, you're noticing that if you say or do this, or if they change something about their life, then subsequently there's a, an outcome. And so some of those things are useful, useful and some of them aren't particularly useful. But in the East, <clears throat> this taboo doesn't exist. In the East, people learn to become familiar and comfortable with their minds through meditation. That's what it does. That's the purpose of meditation, is to become familiar with your mind. And that familiar with, familiarity with the mind helps us to be comfortable with the mind because it can be a scary place because we don't understand it. So if you think about this, on this very iPhone, I've got an app. I've got a, an app called Track Your Happiness, which was developed by a couple of Harvard scientists in about 2008 and it was distributed onto about 3,000 iPhones and, and it, would, it would go off at certain times during the day and it would ask you, 10 minutes ago, what were you doing? Was your mind wandering? And how happy are you now? And from that we learned that people's minds wander about 50% of their day. It's 47% to be exact, so, so close to 50 as makes no odds. And you think, you think to yourself, my mind isn't wandering. But the actual reality is, while your mind's wandering, you're not aware of it. By definition. That's what mind wandering is. It's, it's your wherever your mind's wandered to. You're in, having a conversation with somebody. You're listening to what they've got to say. You're formulating what you're saying or doing. And, and, or going back over something in the past. thing called rumination. And this is how we spend our lives. But where was your mind-wandering lesson at school? Where was the mind lesson at school? This is what the mind is. Yeah, doesn't, doesn't exist. Uh, so it, it has become a bit of a taboo. And that's really not helpful. And one way it's not helpful is because we, we, it's very easy to have a competitive and confrontational relationship with your own mind. Yeah. Things like procrastination and perfectionism and addiction and all of, the, all of the places where what they call in the East the monkey mind pushes back and it makes life difficult for you. All of those places, our society's got nothing to say about it except that there's something wrong with you. You know, so if you're an addict, there's something wrong with you. If, you. if you're procrastinating, there's something wrong with you, despite the fact we know it's almost universal. You've only got to look, look at university students. All university students procrastinate almost invariably. Tiny fraction of them don't. That tiny fraction's got other problems. I'd prefer to be a procrastinator. So that's the, the kind of background of mindfulness, what, what we have to do today is come as close to experiencing it as we can 
and I can teach you that with a practice and the practice is not a meditation but it's something similar to a meditation but the experience of mindfulness is more of an absence of things than it is actually an experience and what it is is the absence of your mind being drawn away from the present moment that can happen through thoughts or emotions so if your emotions are uncomfortable enough they can become overwhelming and now that just constantly pushes you back to wherever those emotions are created those emotions they're like a goad yeah which is, which is something that you use to force animals to go in a particular direction you goad them you push them this is part of our internal experience the the purpose of emotion is to motivate you it's to motivate you to do certain things based on your past experiences that have created those emotions that's fine and then but then what happens is the 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 21st century soon fills all of that space up with things that you must do or should not do or whatever it happens to be so our culture and our society and our economy is goading us because when you wake up in the morning the things that you're filling your head come from our our economy our society and our culture and our relationships but they operate within that space all of our relationships live within this cultural space so you know we've got names for the relationships you know there's family there's neighbors there's colleagues there's friends there's acquaintances and we've all got reasonably similar expectations about those relationships and that's actually alien to human beings because throughout all of our evolution until just recently human beings lived in nature and what we were effectively were were a number of extended families of human beings extended probably being about 150 people something like that they, what happens is is they're born and they live and die with exactly the same people they watch other people die and they watch other people being born there's no secrets because there are no walls they don't live separately and so here we are for instance in london living with another 8 million and then we've also got all of the artificial layers that the 21st century adds you know the economic stuff and the expectations and the social stuff and peer pressure and and the media's feeding us with expectations pre-packaged expectations this is how you should think or feel or respond or behave and then that that gets in the way of us noticing what it's like to be human so today what we'll do is we'll start off with a practice which isn't a meditation i i i say that sometimes and other times i say it is a meditation so what i do is i call it the meditation of no meditation and the meditation of no meditation is actually a listening exercise and so if you're going to listen either close your eyes or look down and fix your eyes on something otherwise you'll be distracted because we're highly visual so what happens is you whatever you see will get your focus and your attention and your thoughts and your emotions and then it, that pushes sound into the background but what we want to be able to do is to notice sound so this listening exercise 
which is the meditation of no meditation for sound, is an exercise, and it's a little bit of an insight, and I'll explain what it's an insight to afterwards. And the way to start is by casting your mind to the furthest sound, whatever that might happen to be. So here in the park, you might be able to hear birds in the distance, you might be able to hear the traffic noise. And from time to time there'll be an airplane. So if it's an airplane, it could be five miles away. Traffic noise, half a mile, something like that. And then there are all of the other sounds between the edge of what is basically like a bubble it's the bubble of all sound around us and it stretches as far as the furthest sound and then within that bubble there are all the sorts of other sounds so there are noises in the park dogs barking people calling out children, birds And then in the building, there are sounds. There are people walking around, speaking, doors opening and closing. And then there are sounds in this room. There's movements in the room. The sound of my voice echoes. And what the mind tends to do is to focus on a specific sound. And then it will hunt for another sound and it will focus on that. But what this is an exercise in, is in noticing all sound. So to notice all sound, it helps for you to become aware that you're here, sitting here, at this centre of the bubble of all sound. And that all sound is around you. And what we're doing is resting in the center of all sound. And we notice all sound. So we're noticing it's a little bit like if we listen to an orchestra. At some points, an instrument will take over the theme. And then we're focused on that instrument. And then the entire orchestra takes over the theme. And so it's the difference between listening to individual sounds and all sounds is the same as listening to an individual instrument or listening to the entire orchestra. So all of the sounds, the hubbub of all sounds, near and far, is the orchestra of the present moment. and we notice that we're at the centre of it. Because if our hearing's okay, then we'll notice the sounds that are behind us, to the left of us, to the right of us, above us, near, far. 
what that does is that helps to locate us. So that's all we'll do for the next few minutes is to listen. doing is listening to the hubbub of all sound. And so what I'll do to add to the orchestral nature of all sound is every so often I'll sound the bell. So whenever you find your mind being drawn to an individual sound, it helps if you come back to the awareness of being here at the centre of the bubble and then and now allow all sound into your experience. So in your very own time, return your attention to what's surrounding you, maybe noticing what you can smell and taste. Gently open your eyes. When we're in nature, if we're alone in nature somewhere, 
that's what we listen to, this collection of all sounds all added together. I mean, the ideal place, if you want to notice what it's like for a human being to scan their surroundings, because this is what's basically happen, happening, if you're not focused on an individual element of your present moment, if you're aware of all sound and you're letting it into your experience, effectively you're scanning all of that sound. And what you're scanning it for is, is, is anything hostile. You're not aware of it, but that's what the brain's doing all the time or a threat, so it's looking for a threat, or, or listening for a threat. But there's no, no need to be anxious about listening for a threat. It's, a, it's how animals are when your cat's walking across the lawn. Its ears are flicking from side to side sometimes, and what it's doing is it's scanning its environment for threats. But it looks completely relaxed, so that's a neutral experience. If you want to experience that, <clears throat> just be alone in the woods when it's dark. And you can't see very much, so what happens is hearing takes over. You become aware of everything that you can hear. You can hear the wind in the trees, movements in the canopy, little creatures scurrying around in the forest floor. It comes alive. And that's what we're designed to do, and this experience is part of our natural environment experience that gets relegated to the needs of the 21st century by the busy mind. And so by doing this exercise, what you're doing is you're actually letting a little bit of mindfulness presence into your experience. It's a really, really good way of connecting to the present moment. But it's not a meditation. It is and it isn't. So I call it the meditation of no meditation for sound. And then we've got another meditation of no meditation. And this meditation of no meditation is just we're noticing movement. The place we notice the movement is the belly here. Just at the top of the belly where it meets the rib cage. And you can either notice that movement, you might be able to feel it, Or if you can't feel it, you put your fingers there for a moment. You notice the movement. And this is the meditation of no meditation for the breath. So the only element of the breath that you're noticing is that movement. Notice it rising. Notice it falling. And that's all we're doing. We're aware of the movement. Again, there's no other instructions. So you're not trying to get anything out of it. There is nothing to be had. You don't experience anything from it. It's not mental training. It's just a practice. And it's called the meditation of no meditation for the breath. And all you're doing is noticing the movement of the belly rising, falling.
for this. Again, we're not trying to do anything, so there's no instructions to focus on this. If the mind wanders, the mind wanders. If there's thoughts running in the background, the loop, that's fine. Whatever emotions there are, whatever happens internally or externally, doesn't make any difference at all. Only thing we do is we're noticing this movement. Belly rising and the belly falling. Okay, so again, gently return your attention to your surroundings and open your eyes. Why do the belly instead of the nostrils? Um, because it's easier. It's easier. If anybody finds an unsatisfactoriness about noticing the breath, it will be more likely by them noticing the breath in the nostrils. The other thing is you're not really, well, you're not really noticing the breath, what you're doing is noticing the movement. So it becomes minimised. So that's the, the meditations of no meditation. And then what we're, we're going to do now is the following the breath meditation. This is the key mindfulness meditation. So if you want to learn mindfulness, if, and you, what you're doing here is we're training ourselves to become aware that we're unaware. You know what I said earlier, which is that you don't notice your mind's wandering. You only notice when you look back through the day and you've discovered you've been on autopilot all day. <clears throat> what we want to be able to do is to train ourselves to notice that our mind's wandering. And we can't use the conscious mind because it's the conscious mind that's wandering. It's the me that I am that's having a conversation with someone. One of my students explained it really well a little while back. She said that when her mind wanders, it consumes her. It takes you to that place or to those thoughts and everything else becomes tuned out. So for this meditation, this is the simplest meditation. It's a, it's a meditation, so what I do is I'll run through the posture a little bit. So to meditate, ideally you want to be sitting comfortably first. That's the priority. There's no point imposing discomfort on yourself unless it's as a means to stay awake if you choose to meditate at a time when you're really tired and you want to somehow stay awake, uh, then you might choose a little bit of discomfort that will stop you from drifting off. Other than that, comfort's more important. And then after that, if you place your elbows by your side, you find you're naturally get a straighter back and you're looking for the point at which 
your skull is balanced most comfortably on top of your spine. So the comfort of how your skull feels on top of your spine is an indicator of how well balanced it is. And so the spine is as straight as is comfortable and it's balanced on top of the pelvis with the elbows by the side and the skull balanced on top of the spine. If you place your tongue gently up against the back of your top teeth, provided you don't have a cold of course, then you'll notice you breathe naturally in and out of the nostrils. And that's ideally where we're noticing the breath for this. You can close your eyes, or if you prefer not to, just look down past the tip of your nose and fix your eyes on something that you can see. That's just so you don't get distracted by anything that's going on around you. And allow yourself to become aware of the sensations in the nostrils, the breath. As this is a very simple meditation, it's called following the breath consists of four lines in the script. Notice the breath, mind wanders, return the attention to the breath, repeat. So that's it, we're noticing the breath, the mind will wander. When you notice that the mind's wandered, it could be a distraction, it could be thoughts or your awareness has been drawn away so you're no longer aware of the breath. When that happens and you notice, gently return your attention to the breath. So it doesn't matter if the mind's busy or not, it doesn't matter if there's continuous train of thought. We're doing is staying in contact with the breath because it is a reality check for the present moment. While we're aware of the breath, then we know we're present. We'll practice this for a few minutes. I'll begin and end the meditation with a bell. It's called following the breath. Just noticing the sensation in the breath, the coolness and warmth. Noticing the breath rising and falling. The rhythm and cycle of the breath.
So we're not setting up a competition for the mind to be quiet or for us to stay focused on the breath because that makes it counterproductive. All we're doing is we're spending some time doing this and while we're doing it, whenever we notice our minds wandered, come back and notice the breath. breath in, warm breath out. not a competition. The mind wandering is the key part of the exercise. So if your mind's busy when you're doing this, it's not a bad meditation, it's what is expected to happen. The mind wanders a thousand times. All we do is gently, patiently, compassionately return our attention to the breath a thousand times. Okay. So in your very own time, whenever you're ready, gently return your attention to the room. There's all sorts of different calmness. This combination of techniques provides a very specific sort of calmness. It's very interesting. Okay, so what have we done? We've done three things. We've done the Meditation of no meditation for sound. So imagine you've got a pyramid, and that's the base of the pyramid. And then you've got the meditation of no meditation for breath, where you're just noticing the movement of the belly. That's the middle of the pyramid. At the top of the pyramid is the following the breath meditation. Okay. So 
what you can do is a thing I call the pyramid meditation. What we do is we start off by noticing the breath, noticing the breath rising and falling, and that's the following the breath meditation. And this is difficult. It's officially difficult. Everybody says it's difficult. What happens is the mind sets up an unhelpful competition to try to make it silent. It becomes an unsatisfactory experience when the mind wanders a lot. So subsequently it becomes gritty. Okay. What you've noticed is a growth in grittiness of experience. We've gone from the meditation of no meditation for sound, which is universally, it appears, frictionless experience. We've added a little bit more friction with the movement of the belly, the meditation of no meditation for the breath. And then we're back to a frictionful meditation with the following the breath meditation because of all the expectations that the mind brings to it. So what we do is we meditate anywhere in that space that we want. Start off by noticing the breath and doing the following the breath meditation. But at any time, you can move to any of the other practices. So you can move from doing following the breath, you can move to the meditation of no meditation for the breath, or you can move to the meditation of no meditation for sound. Try and keep them separate, see how it goes. And then you can come back and do following the breath, so you can move from one to the other, totally at will, following the breath, meditation of no meditation for breath, meditation of no meditation for sound. You can move in and out of them completely at will. Okay, so if you just get yourselves comfortable, start off with following the breath. you want to anyway. You can stay in one, you can move from one to the other in any direction at any time. Remembering that to learn mindfulness in your day, following the breath is how it happens, not through the other two.
Right, what we're going to do now is go straight into another meditation, which is the counting the breaths meditation. So I think you've all done this, but if you can't remember it, all you're doing is noticing the breath, noticing the breath rising, noticing the breath falling. And what we do is we count one on the in-breath, two on the out-breath, three on the in-breath, four on the out-breath, using the inner voice, so we're counting in our minds, till we get to ten. When we get to ten, start at one. When we lose count, start at one. So that's one on the in-breath, two on the out-breath, three on the in-breath, four on the out-breath, up to ten. Get to ten, start at one lose count, start at one. Just practice this for the next couple of minutes. It's called counting the breaths. Okay, so now just let your mind go free. Let it go wherever it wants, any thoughts arise. Take you wherever it wants to go. Notice whatever it wants to notice. 
So you're then at the center of your experience. And I might be noticing sounds, sensations, thoughts, images in the mind, might be looking around you, what you can smell, what you can taste, any emotions, anything like that. Just letting the mind go wherever it wants. you're ready, noticing what you can smell and taste, the sensation of sitting, gently return yourself to awareness of your surroundings and open your eyes. That's a little journey through some really useful meditations and non-meditations. The key to this there are a few keys here. One is the meditation of no meditation for sound, which is, isn't, isn't, it isn't a meditation. So it's probably better off not trying to qualify it, but it's definitely a human experience and it's a definitely an element, big element of the human experience of mindfulness presence, the awareness of being here right now. And notice when you do it, that the sounds help you to locate yourself. If you're not aware of that, you just need to close your eyes and listen to where the sounds are coming from and notice that if you did, couldn't, weren't able to open your eyes, you'd still be able to navigate yourself around your environment because of the sounds that are around you. So there's a big element of presence, mindfulness in that. And because we're allowing the sound into our awareness, it doesn't get trampled on by the stuff we've got to do and think about and places we have to go. It isn't so much a thing, it's the absence of a thing. We're noticing that we can become aware of our environment and still have space. And then there's a similar experience to the meditation of no meditation for the breath. And then we get to the gritty unsatisfactoriness of the following the breath meditation, which is what people refer to as difficult, but the reason it becomes difficult is because of the way that the, the mind nominates it as something that must be done, and it gives you something. So whatever it is you expect to get out of meditation, you attach to the following the breath meditation, and the mind supplies all on its own this idea that you've got to stay in contact with the breath and therefore once you become a guru you're just noticing the breath and there's no thoughts and that there would be some great benefit to that anyway and none of that's the case but the mind unfortunately does that and then what it'll do is it'll compare one meditation session with another depending on how busy your mind was and so you can have a good meditation and a bad meditation notice the mind does all of this all on its own and what it's doing is it's applying the same set of rules that it does to the rest of life and work, career, study, diet, exercise, all of these things, they all become willpower-based, goal-oriented activities. And so the mind 
applies the willpower-based goal-oriented element to it. So it has an element of unsatisfactoriness. So then what happens is if we do the pyramid meditation, where we're starting off by following the breath, and we can move to either of the other practices, meditations of no meditation, it takes a lot of the pressure off of following the breath. So that becomes a less frictionful experience and becomes more frictionless. If you're finding it difficult doing following the breath, do the pyramid meditation. On a busy mind, irritated, stressed and worried day, what will happen is you'll spend a lot of time doing the meditation of no meditation instead. And that's got subtle benefits to it that I'm not going to go into. And then there's the counting the breaths meditation, which is the meditation that beginners find calms their mind more than any other meditation. 50-50, 50 percent of people find that it calms the mind. The other 50 find that it, it's irritatingly noticeable that the mind is busy. I added that on the end because that's a little bit grittier than following the breath for some people. And you're able to notice how, having done these initial practices, the meditation and no meditation, how that changes as well. So the whole thing becomes a relatively frictionless activity doing this. And as, as a result of that, mind actually becomes calmer. So you notice it's not willpower that's making the mind calm, it's the opposite, it's taking away the friction, taking away the expectations, taking away the goals, taking away the wants, the needs, the musts, the shoulds, the shouldn'ts, all of this. And then it becomes a frictionless activity. So the homework is to try the pyramid meditation out and feed it back to me. And the other thing to do is to, whenever you're around in your day, you could be in a cafe, you could be on a bus, you could be walking along the road, you could be chatting to someone, notice all sound. So you can do that, you can be listening to somebody and you're also aware of all sound. And, and what they're saying is part of all sound and you're not ignoring what they're saying. If anything, it's more clear and obvious but you're aware of all sound. There's a way of plugging into the present moment. Okay, so that's it for today. That's uh, meditation and mindfulness.